Coming at you from historic New Brunswick, New Jersey, this is the Matt Ward History Experience. My name's Matt Ward, and I'll be your tour guide today. This month's episode of the Matt Ward History Experience features the debut of an all-new segment, The Weigh-In. The Weigh-In is a segment where I will interview boxers and people involved in the boxing community. This month's segment was recorded on location at Checkmates Boxing Gym in Toms River, New Jersey. The Matt Ward History Experience is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all of your mixing and mastering needs. One Stone Recording and Mastering is available online at onestonerecording.com. We're going to start off the third episode of the Matt Ward History Experience with a weigh-in segment from Toms River, New Jersey. This month's interview is with former professional boxing champion and current gym owner and trainer, Darren Checkmate Mashinsky. We went on location to Checkmate's boxing gym in Tom's River for this interview. During this interview, we were able to not only discuss Darren's career as a boxer, trainer, and gym owner, but also boxing history. Without further delay, here it is, the weigh-in. Please introduce yourself to my listeners. Yeah, my name is Darren Mashinsky, the owner and trainer of Checkmate's Boxing Center. MMA striking skills. At what age did you start boxing? Um, I started relatively late, um, 19, which is pretty late. Right. What got you interested in the sport of boxing? Um, like I said, I started late. I, um, I was just definitely an adolescent, you know, hanging with the wrong crowd, partying a lot, stuff like that at a very young age. And uh, my father took me to a gym when I was 19, um, tried to get me off the streets, something to keep me out of trouble. And uh, he brought me to the Howell PAL, uh, which was my first in New Jersey, which is my first gym that I ever went to. Do you have an all-time favorite professional boxing bout? Mm, I have, uh, I remember, the, one of the memories that I have is when... Um, Mike Tyson got knocked out by Buster Douglas. That was a very memorial because I, I always root for the underdog, and um, Buster Douglas was definitely the underdog. Everybody at, in that era was the underdog once they went against Mike Tyson because he was an animal, and um, it was just good. Finally, he you know he uh, came to fight and he put a Boston clinic on and, and ended up knocking Mike Tyson out. But that was a very memorable moment for me. And, uh, that was a big. One of the biggest things in boxing history, actually, when Mike Tyson got knocked out by Buster Douglas. What are some of the earlier professional boxing matches that you remember watching on television? Um, I, I was uh, probably, uh, I didn't really watch boxing much, but I watched, um, like, Sugar Ray Leonard was fighting when I was younger, uh, Tommy Hearns. I mean, Hitman Hearns, um, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, uh, stuff like that. I would watch those fights all the time, and uh, mainly because my father would, would, would watch them all the time, and um, and I would watch them with him and stuff like that. And those were some of the, I wasn't really a fight fan growing up, even into my uh, early 20s, um, or even when I started boxing, really, I wasn't a fight fan. I was just, uh, you know, I, I started at the gym. At 19, which was late, 
and uh, you know, they just threw me right in there and started sparring different people. And you know, I was anything but a fighter at that point. I'm gonna have films of my first week in the gym, and they weren't pretty. Um, if I just kept going. In what year did you begin your amateur boxing career? Um, I believe it was 1989. Um, I was training for probably about three or four months, and uh, we just decided to get an amateur fight. Um, I think I lost my first two amateur fights, um, believe it or not. And, um, and I just kept doing it and kept sparring in the gym. And um, my first trainer was Pat Rickey. Um, he was a nice guy, good trainer and stuff like that. But, you know, he, he um, I would have been pro in two weeks if it was up to him. You know what I mean? And I wasn't anything but, but I didn't have an amateur fight yet. And, um, and then uh, I've trained with him for a few months, uh, probably about six, seven months. And um, I went to another trainer. Um, I think my next trainer was uh, Muggsy in Trenton. Muggsy Episcopo. Good guy, had a couple good fighters, um, trained a lot of amateurs. It was a different area. My dad would drive me from to Trenton every day, seven days a week, six, seven days a week up to up and back to Trenton um, to this gym. And you drive out from the from the shore? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Do you recall where your first amateur fight was held? Uh, I don't recall where it was held, but it was um Somewhere in Jersey. Um, uh, most of the fights were held in like Newark, um, Jersey City, um, places like that. So I'm pretty sure it was probably either Newark or Jersey City. It was up north somewhere. I do know that. I know I lost my first uh, amateur fight. I think I lost my first two. Um, but you know, like I said, um, my father got me into that to try to keep me out of trouble. Um, never boxed, I mean, had a lot of street fights and stuff when I was younger and stuff like that, and, um, and lived a kind of a crazy lifestyle, um, from 8 to 20 years old, doing things that a normal, typical 8-year-old wouldn't do, and, uh, he took me to a gym when I was 19 to try to keep me out of trouble, and, um, you know, I kept, uh, kept bringing me to the gym, and if I did good in the gym, we talked about how good I did, and, and then if I did bad in the gym, looked bad sparring that day, he would yell at me the whole way home. <laughs> so, you know, it was, um, you know, so I wanted to do as good as I could. And, um, you know, I kept uh, training, training, and, and, I, and then I started winning some fights. Um, you know, basically, um, the sparring. You know, I started a lot more sparring with different people, and um, I started getting better at it. And I started winning some fights. Um... I ended up with, um, I think I had like 35 fights. Um, I won the Golden Gloves three times. I won it in the Novice Division. And then I won it twice in the Open Division. Um, I won the Silver Gloves like three times. The Diamond Gloves like two or three times. I won the ABF State Championships. Um, I won the, when I won the Golden Gloves, then they send you to the National Golden Gloves. And uh, I went thick further than anybody on the team in that year. I don't recall the exact year um, that was. I was like 23, maybe 23 years old. Um, and I lost in a very controversial split decision in the uh, semifinals in the National Golden Gloves. So I did very well under the circumstances. Um, I went further than anybody else on the, on the New Jersey team. And... Um, 
it was good, so I had a very good amateur career. Do you remember a particularly difficult opponent as an amateur? Not really. I mean, I was my worst enemy. Mm -hmm. I was probably my worst opponent, you know, like like I said, which is, I never really took it seriously. I never ran, you know, I, I did things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, <clears throat> you know, but like I said, my father, thank God that he did that and kept dragging me to the gym because uh, I wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for him. You know, he was kind of the boss and, and I did what he wanted me to do. And thank God that, uh, that he did what he did because, um, you know, it brought me to where I am, so. And what year did you turn professional? I turned professional in um, 2002, I believe. And I had about, maybe, two, yeah, 2002. And I had about, uh, I think about 35 amateur fights. Like, I won a bunch of amateur tournaments, Golden Gloves a bunch of times, and, and uh, different tournaments. Um, I had so many trophies I didn't know what to do with anymore. And um, no, we then we turned pro. Um, and I know we fought at uh, my first professional fight was at uh, Tony Danza owned a nightclub oh. in Philadelphia, and um, they were doing a show. And I was um, my promoter was Russell Peltz, mm -hmm. and um, you know they fed me the right people in the beginning. Like my first pro fight, I won my first eight in a row. Um, and, you know, in the business of boxing, if you have the right people behind you and the right promoters behind you, um, you know, you can be the best, one of the best, have the best potential in the world. But if you fight the wrong people in the beginning, you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not fixed. The guy's trying to win, but, the, you know, you're matched with the right people to get your wins, right. to build your record. Um, and you also get the experience, you know, so um, you can call them tomato cans or opponents, whatever you want to call them. But um, if you have the right people behind you and some money and a good promoter, uh, they feed you fights where you can build your record, mm -hmm. where they're not going to throw you in with the killers right off the get-go. Right, and, right. Um, and, and they did well for me, but the promoter, Russell Pelz, did good for me. Um, my first loss was actually to a guy, Billy Master Angelo, mm -hmm. uh, which wasn't even a, it was like one of those fights that wasn't a loss. Like, uh, it was... You, know, you start out when you first fight four rounders. You're going from three two-minute rounds in the amateurs, and then all of a sudden you, you turn pro. And in the beginning, in the early stage in a pro, you'll fight a four-round fight, mm -hmm. and then you'll fight three or four of them, and then you'll maybe move to a six-rounder, then three or four of them, you'll move to an eight-rounder, then a couple of them, maybe you, then you, and if you make it far enough, you can go to a, a main event fighter as a 10-round fighter. If you can go four, you can go six. If you can go six, you can go eight. If you can go eight, you can go to 10. You can't just, it's experience. Mm -hmm. You gotta get the f couple of four-rounders in, then you learn how to go six. Like, it's all within experience. You have to get the uh, fights in. To, you're not like, you can be the best guy, a talented guy in the world, but you can't just fight a 10-rounder. You have to have that experience of the four-rounders in the earlier fights, and then you'll move to six. Like I said, if you then you can go eight, and if you can go eight, you can go ten. And uh, through the training and the experience with the fights, you learn how to go uh, into longer fights. Just to clarify, Darren, um, your professional career started in 1992, right? Right. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that you had a couple of different trainers in the amateurs. Who was your trainer when you turned professional? 
Um, I went to professional with Muggsy Episcopo. Oh, okay. He was in Trenton, and uh, Muggsy was a good guy, good trainer, and he knew how to get his fighters ready. So I did a lot of sparring over there in Trenton, and we would, tr we would drive to Joe Fraser's gym and stuff like that, and I did a lot of sparring with uh, Bernard Hopkins, mm -hmm. be probably hundreds of rounds with him, and uh, we would go to, like, there used to be a gym at Augie's in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. Joe Frazier's gym, uh, Joe Hans gym, all kinds of different gyms we would travel for sparring. Um, I actually lived in the gym in Trenton. Once I turned pro, I would, I would stay with there with their, I actually lived with roaches and mice and stuff in the <laughs> gym and stuff like that. It was kind of crazy, but, um, you know, rather than having to drive back and forth every day, mm -hmm. I just actually stayed there. Uh, just boxed, and that was like my little training camp. Did Muggsy remain your trainer throughout your professional career? Muggsy didn't remain my, my trainer. Uh, it's funny because, um, you know, I was doing pretty good and had a pretty good record, um, and I had a very good opportunity with a, a James Buddy McGirt, mm -hmm. who was uh, a great fighter in his, in his prime. Um, but he wasn't in his prime, but he was a big name, and um, we got an offer to fight James Buddy McGirt on a, on a main event for a, a USA Tuesday Night Fights on USA Boxing. That was Tuesday Night Fights. They don't have that anymore. Um, that's since uh, stopped that program, but that was a great program at the time. Everybody remembers the Tuesday Night Fights with Al Albert and um, Sean O'Grady. Right. Yeah, and um, it was a great opportunity we thought to fight, uh, it was in Mississippi, and um, he didn't want to travel to, he didn't want to get on an airplane. Oh, okay. So we found out through Al Serta, who was Buddy McGirt's actually lifetime trainer, and um, Buddy McGirt um, was a great fighter. He was like a legend, really, now great trainer. Mm -hmm. But uh, Al Serta did, thought that he was shot, a shot fighter and he was still continuing, so he used me. Um, to f somehow I got a hold of him and we talked and um, and I told him the thing that you know I really want to take this fight and uh, Muggsy didn't want to get on an airplane so then I left him for that reason because it was a great opportunity for me and um, I went to the Mississippi and uh, and I ended up beating him in a, in a, a ten round decision um, it was a good win good feather in my cap or you want to call it. Um, and I think after that, um, I think I beat Melchick Taylor first. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And then, so that once I got that, I guess that I was eligible. So I beat a former world champion. Melchick Taylor was also another legend. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that gave me some credibility for them to be able to make the match with Buddy McGirt, uh, which I did, fought, won the fight. And um, that's how I ended up with um, Al Cerdo. So going back to the beginning of your career in 1992, Darren, um, you made your professional debut against Kenneth Davis in Philadelphia. Can you please tell us how you felt going into this bout? Oh, I, I was in really good shape for, for that fight. I mean, there were some fights in my career. I ended up with a 28 pro fight career. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I had like 30 amateur, 35 amateur fights too. It, I was either, probably half of those fights, I was completely out of shape not training right, not living right, and stuff like that. But there were some times where I was in shape for some of those fights where I put myself together and I'd eat good and train, do a lot of sparring. And uh, that was one of my fights, and it was my pro debut and stuff like that. So I, I was in good behavior 
uh, I was behaving good those couple months before that fight. I was training hard. I was doing a lot of sparring, and um, I went in there in very good shape. And um, I really wish I had that one on tape. I don't have that one on tape, but uh, but I do remember the fight, and and um, I beat him pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't get tired at all. And I think I stopped him in the fourth round. Um, and it was a really good win. You talked a little bit earlier about your bout against Meldrick Taylor in 1996. Um, that bout was held at the legendary Blue Horizon in Taylor's hometown of Philadelphia. What was the atmosphere like in the Blue Horizon that night? It was uh, packed. That place, to, there was no place like that. They have since took in the build, taken the building down, mm -hmm. as you know. Um, but that was a legendary place to fight. You know, of course I'm fighting a guy from Philly, in Philly, who was a, a pretty much a legend. But he was really a shot fighter at the time, and he was just trying to come, make a comeback and use an opponent. They were trying to use me as an opponent, and um, and I got in really good shape for that fight, and um, I was living good, and, and I was really training hard for that fight, and uh, I didn't have any mental problems or anything like that. Everything was going good, and um, and I he fought a, I beat him in a ten, ten round decision, but um, they actually had a split decision win. And it's crazy because I actually I won nine out of the ten rounds, com convincingly. I mean, you know, it's a political business, and uh, and not well, actually I dropped him in the fourth round, and um, it was such a clear drop, it wasn't even funny, but they the re the, the referee called it a slip, mm -hmm. you know, which was crazy. And then I yeah. won every other round ever that maybe he won one round, and they had me winning a split decision. Um, win so you know they were trying to steal that from me anyway but you know it's a political business and uh, it, he was Meldrick Taylor and uh, the fight was in Philly so uh, I don't think the judges were on my side but they really couldn't take that one from me because I decisively won the fight right right so in 1998 you fought Fernando Vargas in a big fight in Atlantic City the fight was televised on HBO Please tell us more about your experience fighting on a premium, nationally televised card. Yeah, I think, um, you know, being as I, I had beaten um, some living legends, Meldrick Taylor and Buddy McGirt, um, definitely passed their primes. I still beat them, though. Right. You know, and it meant something. I still still beat their names. So, and I had some other, you know, I had a winning record, professional record. And uh, basically, they were trying to build uh, Fernando Vargas's record. I think he was 14 and 0 at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, he was like the next thing that main event was was trying to build up with uh, Lou Duva and stuff like that. And he was a very talented fighter, and uh, but they were using me as a as a an opponent to keep keep on building his record before he fought uh, for a world title, I believe. And um, you know, I, I um, like I said, I uh, trained very hard for. I had a resentment for so many years about that fight because I um, I really. I, I was in great shape for that fight, and about a week before the fight, I went for some party, and the next thing you know, it was just—it's—I um, don't even want to get into what happened, you know, really what happened, but it was—it was ridiculous. I was up for days, and I finally fell asleep and woke up, and it was one of the biggest fights of my life. Mm -hmm. I, I hated myself for that for a lot of years, had resentment about it, but uh, I still went into the fight. Um, I was dead tired in the first round. Um, I did better than I expected I was going to do being from what I had did uh, beforehand and how I trained and how I lived 
Um, but I did lose a controversial loss uh, in this, I believe it was the sixth round, where um, I, they called it, the referee called it a, a left hook, and that's why he was cut, because he got cut in the sixth round, but it was really a headbutt when they went to the autoplay. But um, if they would have stopped that, didn't stop that fight, and they stopped the fight because he was bleeding really bad, I would have won by a TKO win. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they politically, um, he hit me with a couple punches. Meanwhile, he's bleeding like crazy. And right. uh, they kind of made an, a, an excuse to stop the fight. So that was definitely um, upsetting and a controversial loss. Um, but, you know, it, it, all, it all worked out, though, you know. Right, and you mentioned um, that that at the time, especially you and, and your corner, you felt that the fight had been ended prematurely by the referee. Um, do you still feel that way today, that it was ended yeah, prematurely? Yeah, well, if you look at, at the fight, I mean, you can see it. It's on YouTube, anybody right? wants to look it up. But if you look at the fight, it was definitely, um, he was bleeding like a pig. Mm -hmm. And um, the fight was definitely prematurely stopped. But, you know, I, w I was tired and, um, you know, in the business, usually they go with the, um, you know, the referees are kind of on the, the, Lou Duvu was the promoter, Vargas was Lou Duvu's fighter, main events, so, you know, basically, it's not fixed fight, the business, like, the opponent usually tries to win, but everything sways towards uh, the people with the political power. Right, and right. That was, um, that was Lou Duvu, Fernando Vargas. And uh, so I wasn't really, he wasn't supposed to lose that fight. And um, <clears throat> and he didn't lose it. And, um, you know, but it was a controversial, but he won the fight. I take nothing from Fernando Vargas. He was a great fighter and, and actually had a lot of great fights after that. Yes. In 1999, you won the IBF Intercontinental Middleweight title in a bout held in Switzerland. Please tell us more about your experience fighting overseas for a championship. Yeah, it was... It was um, not only just not in Switzerland. You know, I had a lot of fights. I fought Silvio Branco in Italy. Mm -hmm. I uh, fought in Italy, Switzerland, Denmark, Germany, Holland, and Australia. And uh, they they were good. They paid you good money for the fights. It was all cash money. And um, you know, I would go there and have the fight, and I would end up staying there, partying and stuff like that. I mean, it was was it a good time? You know, it was okay, but I would get lost in these countries and um, stay up there, but, um, you know, I had a lot of, it was good to travel like that, and, um, you know, and they paid you good money, and uh, as far as the, the championship fight, you know, the guy, we kind of brought our own guy down there, they probably would arrest us if we made that fight <laughs> in New Jersey, you know, right? Um, but, you know, this was uh, Switzerland, so it wasn't very, wasn't very strict there, you could, pretty much do what you want to do so we brought our own opponent down there and uh, you know I went I, the guy tried to win he was a tough guy from malice but you know um, I knew I was gonna win that fight you know but still it was a good feather in my cap got it got a championship belt um, you know so it was good I ended up stopping him in the fourth round um, but you know I don't, I don't take too much credit for that fight because uh, like I said I knew who the guy was I knew he was a beatable guy, and um, he couldn't didn't have the skills that I had at the time, and I was going to beat him. Throughout your boxing career, you had the opportunity to face many outstanding fighters, including Meldrick Taylor, Buddy McGirt, and Fernando Vargas. Who was the toughest opponent that you faced during your career? 
myself. Yourself. And I said that, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like with, with the lifestyle that I lived and stuff like that. And um, I never ran. You know, I smoked cigarettes since I was eight years old. Um, a lot of partying, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, I cheated my career. But, you know, it worked out. You know, I have a good life today. I got a nice gym. I love what I do. You know, follow the Lord today. Um, I'm really, you know, blessed to be alive. Had some, have some really good people in my life. Some angels were sent down. And, um, you know, my father had passed away um, before I got my life together. And, um, you know, my father was like my best friend. Mm -hmm. Took me everywhere to the gym. You know, he was like in my corner everywhere. And uh, I would have been dead if it wasn't for him. Taking me to the Boston gyms at 19 years old, trying to keep me out of trouble. Um, but, you know, that was a rough time. My dad passing away. And, uh, you know, he had a little sore in his neck. And six months later, he was dead. And not only was he, you know, he suffered, you know, it was a very painful death and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, I don't understand sometimes um, God's plan, but uh, there is a plan, I know that, and um, I believe he's in a good spot now, and um, I believe any really, not to get all religious, I'm not religious, spiritual or anything like that, but uh, whatever happens in this life, people suffer, good people die, bad things happen, but it really, what, what is it, next to eternity, it's nothing, and that's what I believe, you know. Because I've had some spiritual awakenings and uh, God's done things for me that uh, that are truly miracles. And I shouldn't even be alive, never mind have the life that I have and um, stuff like that. So so I definitely believe her in that. Your boxing alias was Checkmate. Please tell us how you received that alias. I was a, um, I used to play chess <clears throat> and uh, I was actually the captain of the chess team in high school. And um, I used to play chess with this one kid all the time. Um, and I was an amateur fighter. My father gave me something like the Hurricane nickname or something like that, and um, which was already used, Hurricane Carter. My father used to spar Hurricane Carter way back in the day. My oh. father was a Golden Globes fighter himself. Oh, okay. And never went professional or anything like that. So he gave me that name, Hurricane. And uh, this kid I used to play chess with says, you know what, you should call yourself Checkmate. And I'm saying chess checkmate. I was the captain of the chess team. And what a great nickname that would be. So I just grabbed onto that, and I've been checkmate ever since. And so it's a good nick, good nickname. Yeah, that's a very unique nickname too. You, yeah. you, I don't think I've ever heard that used again. No, there's only one checkmate. That's me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody steals checkmate, then they're stealing it from me. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely, Darren. And that's you know I got a dog named Checkmate. I got Dom. Checkmates Boxing Center. I'm Checkmate the Trainer, because that was my ring name down at Checkmate Mashinsky, so uh, it all worked out good. Everybody's Checkmate. So you've had a very interesting boxing boxing career, and you've had a lot of uh, great experiences uh, that we talked about. Out of all these experiences in the amateurs and in the professional ranks, what was your most memorable experience as a fighter? Um, most memorable one as a fighter? Mm-hmm. Um, Probably, well, there's a couple of them. It depends on amateur, you're talking about professionally. I mean, I don't know what to my amateur or professional. Um, overall, overall, out of your amateur and your and your professional days. Well, I know in, in the, um, I remember going to the National Golden Globes in Florida mm -hmm. with uh, Dan Shannon, um, at the time was the president of USA Boxing. 
and um, you know I wasn't expected to go that far. I won the, the Jersey Golden Gloves, and then they had the National Golden Gloves, you know, and and I actually ended up going further than anybody on the team that year, and um, and actually lost in a controversial loss in the semifinals in the National Golden Gloves. So same, I came real close to winning the National Golden Glove Championship. So that was pretty memorable for me. That was, and um, you know, just to fight on the, the HBO, I, I was on a co-main event of Arturo Gatti mm-hmm. against Ivan Robinson fight, which was you know they were two legends. Right. And um, Gotti, of course, has since passed away, and um, or whatever. Nobody really, only God knows really what happened to him, as far as that's concerned, with whether he was killed or, you know, whatever. That's totally still a mystery. I think. Like it I said, is. Only it God is. knows about that, but he was the co-main event, and um, I was the—I mean, he was the main event. I was the co-main event, and we both ended up losing that night. But it was close fights, and then you know, we ended up hanging out afterwards and, uh, for for a night, uh, and I ended up running to a Manhattan, believe it or not. And um, that was it. After that, I never seen him again. After that, and then of course, you know, he had the tragedy that had happened with him. Um, but he was a great fighter. But that was a memorable night for me because I was on a co-main event on mm-hmm. HBO. Um, you know that that's amazing. You know that that you could be even though I was even the opponent. Even though I was the opponent, still you're on HBO. You're a co-main event. You know it's it's an accomplishment to to do that. And then I almost ended up winning the fight anyway, which was uh, you know a really good experience. And um, it's good to have those um, those names under your under your uh, record and stuff like that. Yeah, and two guys with ties ties to New Jersey as well. Yes. on the card. Yeah. Yep. So Darian, we're currently sitting in your gym, Checkmates Boxing Center. And what year did you open the gym? Well, I had Checkmates Boxing. Actually, I started um, had a friend of mine that that um, I known for a bunch of years. Well, I didn't really know him. He seen me when I fought Fernando Vargas. And then I was in a casino one time, and he came up to me, and he gave me a, a business card. And I went home, and I looked at the website. I'm like, man, this guy, he was like this huge guy. I had this, like, million, multi-million dollar company. And he said he wanted me to train him. So I went, and I trained him. He said in the car, we went to this regular fitness center, and I trained him. He gave me 100 bucks. He sent me on my way. So we did that for a few times. And then um, he, he, you know, I didn't really have a job. I've been boxing my whole life. I didn't really know how to do it myself. And he gave me a, a, a couple of pairs of boxing gloves and a couple of pairs of focus mitts. And he said, here, Darren, now you have your own business. Go be a boxing trainer. And I went to a regular fitness center in Tom's River, KS Fitness, uh, it was called. And uh, I asked him if I can be a boxing trainer here. And they have known because I was in the papers. They didn't know who I was and stuff. So they gave me a job. And I started doing uh, one-on-one sessions there, and I started with one client. And um, a couple of years later, I was doing like 40, 60 one-on-ones a week hour sessions. And, you know, and I fixed my credit and, you know, started saving some money and stuff like that. And then eventually I opened my, my own place in, um, I don't even know when it was, what year. Um, I opened my own place in, on, in Tom's River, uh, Checkmate Spawn Center on Fisher Boulevard, probably about 13 years ago or so. 14 years ago, and, um, and then I was doing pretty well there for a while, and they would never give me a ring at the KS Fitness, so that's why I had left KS Fitness, because I wanted I needed a boxer ring so I could train real fighters and stuff like that, 
and um, I was doing really good there. And then um, they asked me. I get a phone call. The Blues. They they wanted me. They wanted. Me, they said, "Listen, we found the place for your ring. You want to bring your ring up here? You can set checkmates back up in here." And that's what I did. So I went back to the fitness center for a few years, and then I uh, grew outgrew that uh, that place. And then I got my place on um, 37, and um, and now I'm in this location now for about five months. So I've been doing, I've had Checkmate Spots and it's been going on for about 13, 14 years now. Okay. What type of classes and training are available to members at Checkmate's Boxing Center? Yeah, I train uh, pretty much my classes, is, is ages 8 and up, male or female. I have uh, classes every day during the week at 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. during the week and 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. So basically, you come when you do a membership. You can come at any of those times. Um, not usually we're here till like almost nine o'clock. So like six to like eight thirty, nine o'clock. I'm usually wrapped up here. Um, I have some people that fight for real. Um, some a couple of amateur kids and stuff like that. But I train anybody, male, female. We have a lot of fun here. I get kids in here coming here. Can't I mean they get bullied in school and stuff like that. They can't fight a little bit and. Uh, you know, next thing you know, they're actually sparring, and then some of them actually fighting for real. And uh, these are kids that had no fighting skills at all when they started, and down the road, you, know, you just see how they progress and stuff like that. Please tell us about some of the amateur boxers that you currently train at Checkmates Boxing Center. Yeah, I have a nice little stable of amateur boxers. Um, um, you know, fighting in the Golden Gloves diamond gloves, uh, different tournaments and stuff like that, and uh, they actually fight competitively. Most of the people I train do not fight competitively, but you know, I'm in Tom's River, I'm not in like Trenton or the ghetto somewhere, you know, it's kind of a, a harder place to, for the, to train real fighters, you know, per se, but I am getting some tough ones in here, you know, and um, some of them leave, some go to other gyms and stuff like that, but, but uh, I am looking to um, invest in some uh, professional boxers whether it be amateur uh, and then to convert them into a pro I have a couple prospects now that I'm, I'm dealing with um, or you know, maybe even just go right into the pros try to get a contract of a good fighter and you know it's really you need a little luck in the business in general um, you know if, if you like Buddy McGirt's famous trainer, mm -hmm. good trainer. You know, I don't really know how he trains. I don't know his, his ethics as far as that's concerned, or uh, Freddie Roach, right? Right. But basically, um, you know, the the fighter makes the trainer, not the other way around. Maybe a little bit of mix of it too. But you can have the the greatest trainer in the world if you don't have the the skills. The the guy's not that's not going to do anything for you. So uh, you actually uh, need the, the fighter. Who makes a trainer? So you know anybody who say I was a trainer and I was tr training uh, Mike Tyson, of course, just as an example. And I trained him one fight. Everybody sees you on TV. And next thing you know, you're a famous trainer. You know mm -hmm. that that's how it works. Um, so for the most part, the fighter makes the trainer. Um, it's it a little bit of a combination. You, I mean, you gotta have the trainer's got to know what he's doing a little bit. But for the most part, it's uh, you know you need a little luck in the business. You gotta have the the right talent and uh, the right promoters and the right people behind you that know how to manage you to maneuver your career. Um, you could be the best fighter in the world if you if you fight the wrong people in the beginning. You you're gonna probably not gonna keep a winning record. So a lot of the fights aren't per se fixed, 
but they're they're matched with the promoter manager you'll get matches with people who aren't as not as talented as your fighter so you can build your their, your fighter's record up and stuff like that and eventually through that process they'll learn their skills and eventually when it comes time to fight high caliber fighters they're gonna through the experience and the wins and stuff like that um, they'll have that experience to, to, to beat them do you have any plans to write a book or do a documentary on your boxing career and life um yeah I'm, I definitely do I mean I have a, a crazy story that and like a lot of it I don't even talk about it like um, I'm on borrowed time as it is um, you know with my lifestyle and stuff like that but you know People can change. I'm a perfect example of that. Um, I got a good life today, good business. Um, you know, I don't even know how I've made it as far as I did in the Boston career with the way that I, you know, handled myself as far as uh, how I lived and stuff like that and took care of myself. I never trained and smoked cigarettes and a lot of partying and stuff like that. Um, it's really um, amazing that I went as far as I did. Um, you know just how things happen because um, even when I was done with my career you know I had no job skills I had to know what I was gonna do you know what am I gonna work for ten dollars an hour when I'm 30 years old you know what I mean so mm -hmm. I had no I, no skills whatsoever and um, but you know God works in mysterious ways I had this 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 gentleman Joe Gingoli I told you about who who, who uh, wanted me to train him he gave me a couple of pairs of Boston gloves and a couple of pairs of Focus Mist and said, here, now you have your own business, go be a trainer. And the rest is history, you know, and, and I started with one person and, you know, now I have my own gym for a bunch of years now and I'm doing very well. And, uh, you know, eventually I'll uh, look into getting um, a couple of pro fighters. And, uh, but even so, just, I love doing what I do. It's not, it's not even, I can't, it's hard to even call it work, you know, I love my job. And plus it keeps me in shape doing a lot of the, the, um, I'm probably in better shape now than I'm when I was fighting because, you know, I do a lot of mitt work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm in very good shape. And I change, you know, I eat good now and stuff like that. So, good life. That's great. Darren, thank you for sitting down with me this afternoon. That does it for this segment of The Weigh-In. Darren's gym, Checkmates Boxing Center, is located at 2161 Whitesville Road in Toms River, New Jersey. You can check out Checkmates Boxing Center online via their website, Facebook, and Twitter. The website address is checkmatesboxing.com. Again, that's checkmatesboxing.com. The Twitter handle is at checkmatesboxnj. The links of their website, Facebook, and Twitter will also be posted on my blog. If you have a history event that you would like promoted on my blog and podcast, please contact me via Twitter, Facebook, or on my blog. I will be happy to promote your event free of charge. That does it for the third episode of the Matt Ward History Experience. The Matt Ward History Experience is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all of your mixing and mastering needs. Go to onestonerecording.com slash mwhistory and receive 10% off of your first session. I would like to thank my guest, Darren Mashinsky of Checkmates Boxing Gym, and you, the listeners, Darren can be reached via his website, Facebook page, and Twitter. The links to these sites are posted on my blog. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank my good friend Peter Lloyd at One Stone Recording and Mastering for providing tech support for this episode. 
I can be reached on the blog, The Matt Ward History Experience, at mwhistoryexperience.com, on Twitter, at RevWarBuff23, or via my new Facebook page. Until next time, I'm Matt Ward, and this is The Matt Ward History Experience. 